Welcome to our final study in the book of Numbers. This is study number 36. We're covering all 13 verses of chapter 36, Lord willing, and the church don't rise. This is, I think, the first time I've gone through a book and actually just done one chapter each time and got through it. Um, that's just how it worked out. We were able to do that as we begin with a hibbeli hala going out to a brother, Zeus Boruto. Brother Zeus is a hibbeli hala, and I hope I pronounced that last name correctly, but uh, Brother Zeus, uh, you get the honor of being our last hibbeli hala in the book of Numbers as we get right in to things with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for helping us as we put in the time to do these studies and the, everything from the camera to the software to the internet itself working. And then able to put these out on the radio program, bbfohioradio.com and uh, on uh, Sermon Audio and Rumble and we are looking at other places to put these studies to reach more people. More than a dozen different internet radio stations play uh, these things from time to time and we're just thankful for everyone listening and we have some faithful listeners who've been with us all the way from Genesis and uh, but all of them those who have joined us more recently we just pray your blessings upon them all and you'll help us that we'll be able to continue these studies week in week out verse by verse through books of the Bible until you rapture us out of here unless you plan on taking me ahead of time either way I ask that you help me. I just want to be faithful. I ask for decent health so that I can do these things for your glory. The praise and glory and honor of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, as I said, we're going to close our study of the book of Numbers. Our backdrop has a bunch of numbers just for that reason. If you're listening on the radio, uh, just imagine uh, taking all those. Most people have had those little magnets with numbers and letters. Just take a bunch of those with numbers and throw them on a blue, dark blue carpet. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Um, but uh, as we get into this last chapter, I just want to say right off the bat, this is one of the strangest final chapters of any book of the Bible, I think, that we'll come across just by the, uh, just as far as just reading it. You're reading through the book, you come to this last chapter, and after you finish, you're like, that was it? That's the last chapter. It uh, seems like anticlimactic, <laughs> but we'll see. The, I'll talk about it as we get into it. There's a very good reason for this to close out the book of Numbers. But let's jump right in uh, by reading verse 1. And the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spake before Moses and before the princes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel. So you read that and you think, wow, um, this is probably going to be some really important matter because you're having this meeting of the minds uh, and you're bringing in Moses and the chief fathers of all the tribes. So let's see what this uh, meeting is all about. Verse 2, and they said, the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. 
And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. That's right. We're going to end the book of Numbers with another meeting about the inheritance of the daughters of Zelophehad. <laughs> Zelophehad was a man who was a member of the tribe of Joseph, of the sons of Manasseh, and he didn't have any sons. So back in uh, Numbers 27, obviously Numbers study, number 27, we discussed how that because Zelophehad didn't have any sons, his daughters cried foul. And since the inheritance normally follows to sons, um, you know, Moses was confronted with this situation where Zelophehad didn't have anybody to give his inheritance to. This was going to be the first generation going in to have a inheritance in the land. So Moses took the case to the Supreme Court Chief Justice, um, who in Israel is the Lord himself. And the Lord said that the girls had a case, and he designated that land, he set this precedent for law, land would be given to the daughters if there were no sons, and then if there were no daughters, then they'd look for the man's own brothers, the uncles of the children who would have existed, but since there are no sons or daughters to give it to, they go to the brothers of the man if there are no children on, and so forth. It goes down the line. But here we see a loophole that could end up placing the land of one tribe into other tribes if the land inheritance went to the daughter and she then married somebody outside of the tribe. And we'll pick up and talk about that more in a minute, but that's where the dialogue picks up in verses 3 and 4 where we read verse 3, and if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and shall be put to the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And verse 4, and when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall their inheritance be put in unto the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. You may say, big deal, you know, just a little bit of land. You know. Well, you can see how, if you think it through, this could really foul up the whole system here in Israel. You could have large plots of land somewhere in the middle of a tribal allotment, but it will go to one of the other tribes I mean, it could have been like Judah down here in the uh, mid to south area going to belong to Dan, which was way up north. It'd been just once that happening would kind of put a bit of a, a scar on the face of Israel, so to speak, as far as the land. Um, but after a few generations of that sort of thing, I, uh, Israel's tribal allotments would be discombobulated beyond recognition. It would be like, uh, let's say, uh, Columbus, Ohio belonged to the tribe of Ohio. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have any sons. Uh, the, uh, you know, I have two stepsons who I just call my sons. I love them like my own, but they, technically they're not of my DNA. I married a widow with two sons. Now, um, my uh, daughters, uh, if they were to receive Columbus, Ohio, they say, "I, you know, I, that's my land," and I give them to my daughters, and then one or more of them are married, that they then marry somebody 
in the tribe of Kentucky. <laughs> then Kentucky would be down below the Ohio River on a map, but then there would be part of Kentucky up in the middle of Ohio. And, okay, that's just one time that happening. But if it kept, ha it would keep happening. It's just inevitable. And over a period of a number of generations, then if that were to happen here in the United States, we were to do that. This is a hypothetical, obviously, it's just an illustration. I know it can't happen, but this is, I'm just giving you an idea. Imagine what the map of the United States would look like after, after 200 years of that. I mean, spots of this state is over here and this over there. And it would just, uh, it looked like a, you'd look at the map and it looked like the thing behind my head here. <laughs> That's what the United States map would look like. It looked like a splash painting. Or, uh, you know, some of this modern art that doesn't make any sense and there's no rhyme or reason to it. So you can see how important this really is to the long-term health of the nation of Israel. And it also adds to the reality of this book. This isn't just a holy book with holy men dribbling about on and on about nothing. Like the Koran and, and uh, Book of Mormon, which is totally fictional and there's no real those places don't even exist that are in there for the most part. Uh, the only places in the Book of the Mormon, for the most part, as far as I know, um, I don't know of any exceptions, it's, it's only when biblical cities and names are mentioned in the Book of Mormon. The rest is fiction. Um, Bhagavad Gita, it's just rambling and everything. It, that's The Bible is set apart because it is a real book. It is historical. It is, it is based in reality. And so uh, that's what this speaks to for us as we read it. But it was very important at the time, practically, in a practical sense, for the nation of Israel. So Moses gets word from the Lord again. And we pick up in verse 5 and 6. And Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, I'm sorry, uh, according to the word of the Lord, saying, the tribe of the sons of Joseph hath said well. So again, the Lord says they've got a good point here. Now, it's not that the Lord doesn't know that, but the Lord allows us to make our choices and think and so forth. Now, if it had come down to it, I believe the Lord would have somehow intervened, but he used the thinking girls, daughters of Zelophehad, to take care of this issue. And that's how God works, and I love him for it. Uh, I hope you do too. That's how our Lord works. We should love him for being who he is. And verse 6, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. That means they must marry a man in the tribe that they belong to, which was the tribe of Manasseh. It is out of Joseph, but we talked about, and we'll talk about it again, Joseph was split into two, uh, and that meant Manasseh got an allotment, and Ephraim got an allotment. Um, and that, that's an important name to remember, Manasseh um, and Ephraim both. It's important to remember we're going to see uh, in the book of Revelation, Dan is missing from the list of the tribes there, and Manasseh is mentioned. I once had a guy, he's talking down to me like I was some dummy um, because he had stumped me on some vague Bible question. And, I'm, you know, I admit I don't know everything in the Bible, but uh, I do my homework. I'm a, a, a try to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And um, 
so I can hold my own in a discussion with anybody, but most I don't like these discussions where people are trying to outdo each other. I just like to talk about the Bible. So when I do, I don't try to show people up or prove that I'm the smartest guy in the room or anything stupid like that. But that's how this guy was operating. He stumped me, like I said, and it was a question of no real consequence. And As the conversation continued, though, <laughs> I, I thought I heard him say he was talking about the tribes listed in Revelation 7, and he pointed out, which I already knew, that Dan was replaced by the tribe of Molasses. <laughs> and I stopped him. He started. He kept talking, but I stopped him. I said, wait a minute. Dan was replaced by who? And he said it again. Um, he said Dan was replaced by the tribe of Molasses. <laughs> I told him, I think you meant Manassas or Manasseh. Manassas is the Hellenized form that shows up in the New Testament, uh, you know, translated from Greek into English, transliterated. Manassas. It's in Matthew and Revelation. Uh, he was embarrassed once he realized that uh, what he was saying was so silly, <laughs> but it didn't slow him down from thinking that he was a walking Bible encyclopedia. And that's the kind of guy I really didn't stay friends with um, or become friends with. He was just arrogant. And uh, he was very messed up in a lot of his doctrine and everything because he was unteachable. But that's beside the point. I don't want to run down that rabbit trail. Um, but I'll just say this. As a Gentile, I'd love to be a member of the tribe of molasses. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. We used to just for breakfast, you know, as a kid, take a biscuit, put butter, and just pour some molasses on it and eat it, and then we'd have some kind of meat with it. Man, that was good. I'd do that right now every day if I could, but uh, if it wasn't for my diabetes. <laughs> I'm pre-diabetic, but I don't believe in that. I, I believe everybody these days better watch out for diabetes, and if you start having high numbers, you're diabetic. Anyway, um, that's enough about molasses. Let's get back to Manassas. And uh, this would settle the issue. The daughters, uh, any daughter whose father had no sons could inherit the land and carry on the father's legacy, but they had to marry into the same tribe and keep that land within the tribal allotment. This kept the land of Israel intact and not becoming a map, like I said, that would look like our backdrop there. And it... Uh, just down the road because of these safeguards and these precedents uh, land issues wouldn't be the thing that would divide Israel and cause the problems spiritual issues would be what would later wreck the nation but that's a ways down the line in our studies if the Lord tarries and allows us to get, get that far so we continue as Moses explains the decision from the Lord from verses 7 through 9 it says so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel removed from tribe to tribe for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Verse 8, And every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any tribe uh, of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. And verse 9, neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. And I, I'm not going to get into in, in depth here, but I just want to point out that how silly that makes the whole soulmate thing. And, and uh, well-meaning Christians, but they, uh, even non-Calvinists, I understand a Calvinist would believe that 
every one of your kids when they grow up God has a hand-picked woman out there for every little boy and a hand-picked man for every little girl when they grow up and that one particular person who God is going to orchestrate a meeting and then there will be a divine you know and then some people just kind of either spiritualize it or mythologize mythologize is that the word mythologize <laughs> uh, with this soulmate thing there I just find no biblical basis for that and I think it's unreasonable you say, you don't think that Jenny is your soulmate? It, I believe that people can become like what you call a soulmate, um, but that comes with uh, the relationship growing together and getting old together and, and sharing life together and having a common bond with the relationship and with Jesus Christ and praying together and studying the Bible together, memorizing Scripture together, going to church together, serving the Lord together, and so forth. Uh, when I met Jenny, um, there was some connection, obviously. They call it chemistry, which is, means nothing uh, in any real terms. What it was is I met her, she met me. Um, I liked how she looked. I'm a heterosexual male, and uh, I believe if you want someone to like you, you should be presentable, have good hygiene, and so forth. You present yourself in a way that is respectable. Um, show you know be yourself but you ought to have a sense of humor and not take yourself too seriously use a breath mint once in a while brush your teeth and floss and you know all those things and then uh, she felt the same way about me and uh, mainly both of us have told people since we, our, our love for the Lord was evident to one another and um, if you love the Lord and you commit then you can make a marriage special it takes bad decisions, bad choices, sin, um, and that destroys any marriage. But if you make the right choices, follow the Lord in your life, love each other the way the Lord loved His church and gave Himself for it and so forth, any marriage can become wonderful. If both parties, you'll hear people say, it takes two to tango, it takes two to make it and two to break it. No, it does not. It takes two to make it, but only one to break it. Um, but if both will make it, then it'll be a great marriage. These girls, if you know, if they had met somebody in another tribe and had this silly idea, but he's the one. I'm in Manasseh. He's in the tribe of Zebulun. But I've got to marry him. Well, give up the land. But uh, I just had to mention that because a lot of people. I don't. I, I've known people who aren't even married yet because they think that there's this one special person when they meet them they're gonna like hairs gonna stand up and they're gonna have fireworks and that's not how it works if you do things biblical it'll keep you from being goofy and it'll give you a much better life but we've got to move on even though there's only 13 verses if I keep yapping we're not gonna get through them so uh, verses 9 and 10 continue neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe but every one of the tribes uh, of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. Verse 10, even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. So they did what they were told. Who? Verse 11, for Malah, Terzah, Hagla, and Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married unto their fathers, brothers, sons. They not only married in the tribe, but they married their cousins. Anyway, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but uh, incest was only a sin when it became a sin. Um, Adam and Eve, their children, intermarried brothers and sisters. 
Um, there was nothing wrong with it. Now you're thinking, ugh, gross. Well, it's good that you feel that way now. But back then, there was no big deal about it. They were, on, they were the only human beings on earth. No one thought anything of it. And they, they were come right out of the garden. The gene pool had not been um, diluted yet. And they still died, but they were living to almost a thousand years of age. That's how healthy and everything everyone was. But as time went on, um, the further decay and then the giants and the Nephilim which brought on the flood and as soon as the flood was over the lifespan began to shrink down to about a tenth of what it once was and then finally under Mosaic Law and we saw this all back in Leviticus 18 that uh, close kin were not to have sexual uh, con conduct um, of course anything outside of marriage but the fact that you weren't supposed to have any sexual contact with close kin that did away with the possibility of marriage with close relatives and today there's a natural repulsion uh, or at least until recently there's been a natural repulsion of such things but uh, as Sodom continues to revive and thrive in these wicked end times we're seeing an increase in ancestral sexual sin and I'll just leave that right there I don't really want to get into it for the sake of time and because it's a disgusting thing to think about. <laughs> but, uh, of course, Zalafad's daughters, husbands, were of the tribe of Manasseh, as we mentioned, and it points out here again in verse 12. And they were married into the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. So it worked out in this case, and um, since the Levites did not inherit land, um, then God split Joseph into two his two sons. Manasseh was given a tribal allotment and then he gave the sons of Ephraim uh, one tribal allotment. And God had his reasons for doing this, but let's not forget that this was the gist of the prophecy of Jacob. So it wasn't just willy-nilly. Levites were not getting land. That left only uh, 11 to get the land. So he takes Joseph and breaks him into two with his two sons and gives him a double blessing. We don't have time to go into detail, but you can go back to Genesis 48, where this uh, prophecy took place. Verses 5 and 6, we will read, as Jacob says to Joseph, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine, Jacob says, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In other words, he's, gonna, he's prophesying they're going to become like the tribes. Um, Verse 6 is, And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. So instead of being called after the name of Joseph, they'll be called after the name of his two sons and their brethren Manasseh and Ephraim. So all of this is very important for the stability and future of the nation, and that's it. The book of Numbers closes with this final legal precedent regarding the land of Israel. And then this one final closing sentence in verse 13. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. So we got time for a couple of closing thoughts. Um, a couple of folks have asked if I have an outline and I don't have an outline. The answer is no. And so they, a couple of folks said, why not? <laughs> My answer is basically just a couple of things. Number one, these studies are meant to simply whet the appetite, give you some of this information. You say, wow, there's more in these books than I thought. There's way more than we've touched. 
Um, so we take a very basic approach, reading verse by verse with discussion. And I don't find outlines useful. Sometimes they actually mislead and misconstrue things. If you or your teacher disagree, that's fine. Go ahead and use your outlines or whatever. But I know a lot of folks who use outlines and things like that, and I just don't see it really benefiting them. Um, they claim they do, but I just don't see any evidence of it. And uh, so that's why we don't have outlines. And as we close this study, with the time we have left, I just uh, want to say that I hope that you found this book to be much more interesting than is advertised. Most people talk about the book of Numbers like it's as boring as reading a phone book, but I think we've proven otherwise in these studies. And we encourage you to go to bbfohio.com and you can listen to a number of other books, these office studies. We've gone Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, now Numbers, we're starting Deuteronomy. Um, others are book studies that we've done at church meetings there in uh, BBF in uh, Worthington. Uh, Isaiah in, in uh, Sunday school studies, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Mark, Luke, Acts, the Pauline epistles from Galatians through 2 Thessalonians, James, Jude, and Revelation. We have more than 3,000 30-minute studies free of charge. We also have hundreds as of this time of five-minute devotionals and much, much more there. You can also get nearly 200 videos of our hymns. Uh, just click on uh, at the banner for pages, click on Great Hymns of the Faith. There's a whole list of a couple hundred hymns that are, uh, the link go, takes you to Rumble, and you can learn the hymns. Finally, as we close numbers, we invite you to join us in our study upcoming of the book of Deuteronomy, Lord willing, and the church don't rise. BBFOhioRadio.com